0: So uh, so this morning, Pastor Andrea gave me a great lead-in, and I didn't hear her say it quite as clearly this time. How could you not say the same thing the second time that you said the first time? That never happens to me. Um, she said this morning that, you know, God is someone who loves us, and God wants us to love each other, and we spend a lot of time messing it up. And as I heard that, I was thinking, you know, isn't that a perfect lead-in to today's gospel lesson? You know? God is someone who loves us and calls us to love each other. And this gospel lesson is all about somebody just completely messing that up. You know, we hear about Herod who had a lot of power. We hear about Herod who had a lot of trust put in him and a lot of hope put in him from people. And, you know, he represented not only the government, but also kind of the, the culture of authority that people would like to see act well. And this is a story, I think, where we hear how, how Herod uses that power and and uses that authority in, in a way that not only would God be not happy with, but is downright dangerous for the people in, in the area, not just for John the Baptist. And, and what I hear in Herod is something that I think sometimes we can hear in all of us. It's that he made this decision to have John the Baptist beheaded, and somehow it was a decision that seemed reasonable, yet it was a decision that any one of us... Were we to think through the options of the things that we would think reasonable this day, I'll have breakfast, that sounds reasonable. You know, maybe I'll have lunch, that sounds reasonable. I'll go to the supermarket, that sounds like something I should do. Maybe if we get caught in traffic, using some of the words that we might not normally use would sound reasonable. But certainly, let's behead this guy. That's not on the list of things that we would typically think would would be on the list of options that would seem normal and reasonable, is it? You know, Herod is someone who for a long time, had, had made probably bad decisions. And what we see in Herod is the ultimate result of weak character. Herod is someone who had finally given into this weak character. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how when, when his daughter requested the head of John the Baptist, the Bible kind of almost gives him an out. The Bible said, well, well, Herod didn't want to disappoint his guests. He didn't want to look like he was someone who would, who would go back on his oath. You know, he had promised her that I'll give you anything, even up to half my kingdom. But, you know, the, the thing in that particular promise was that half his kingdom is kind of what she was going to get anyway, isn't it? You know, it's kind of, you would kind of assume that the child would inherit from the father. You would kind of assume that somehow that's a part of her legacy anyway. And so really, he wasn't promising her anything that was going to be a big deal. And, and you would think that if he were a strong king, if he was someone who had real character, if he was someone that really valued the, the office in which he was, was in the office which he held, that he would be someone who would be able to stand up and say, "You know, I understand that I promised you anything." But this really is beyond the pale. And what it got me thinking about is what what leads you to a place where this somehow seems reasonable. And what I realized is, you know, we don't get to that place where we make those kind of terrible decisions just in a vacuum. But we are people who are constantly not only having to make little decisions that determine the kind of person we are day by day and hour by hour and minute by minute, but we also are people who... As we live in to the accumulation of, the, of our choices, we're also people of habit. So, for instance, you know, I've, I've always struggled with my weight. And I didn't wake up one morning and said, oh, look, I'm fat. You know, I, I woke up and, and realized that because I've decided that I should have this bowl of ice cream and maybe one more, and why not? I've already had two. What's a third one? Or maybe I'll eat a little more tonight. And then said that the next night. And then said that the next night. And all of a sudden, you know, 400 nights of eating a little bit too much, that adds up after a little while, doesn't it? You know, that's, that's one of the most obvious things in my own life that that shows some of my own character, or at least the way I understand my character, you know, being the the cumulative result of lots of little decisions. You know, or or another way that we sometimes see that is in the way we treat people. When, when we go around our daily lives and we make little decisions that discount the way people feel. Well, this person works in the grocery store. I don't have to worry about the way they feel, and I'm in a hurry, so I'll be a little bit mean here. And, you know, I've used the traffic example. This is one that I've built into a big habit. You know, I, I'm the only sane driver on the road, if you listen to my narrative of it. You know, but that, that builds into my habit of the way I react to things on the road, doesn't it? And we all find ourselves not only the, the benefactor of the good decisions that we made over time, but also sometimes the victims of our own habits. And we, we think about someone like Herod, and we realize, you know, a, weak, a person with weak character isn't born overnight, but a person with weak character is someone who gets that way because they have consistently chosen it time after time after time. This becomes really important in the church. Because a church is a place where we come together and we work our hardest to make it a healthy community. We work our hardest to make it a place where people are welcome, to make it a place where we try to build each other up, to make it a place where what we do as a community is something that not only serves God, but that serves our community, that serves each other, that's a place where we can do good things together. And yet in churches, not this church, but some other churches, you know, People are in conflict sometimes. I grew up at, in a church where when we were redesigning the sanctuary and working on an addition, you know, people would argue about what color the carpet would be. I know you all can't imagine what that would be like. But let me, let me tell you that what we decided was there is no one true holy color, color of the carpet. You know, there is not one color of the carpet that pleases Jesus and another color of the carpet that really makes Jesus angry you know regardless of what your opinion is you know we we recognize that this isn't like a foundational a foundational piece of what the church is and yet you would not believe how long council meetings can get when you're de- when you're trying to decide between this color red and this color red and i couldn't tell the difference but it was so important to people and and not because one color really was bad or the other was good but it was because both Sets of opinions about what was right and what was wrong were opinions that people had because they really wanted the very best for the church. They really wanted to have that one color that is going to speak to people, however it is that this shade of red and that shade of red speak to people, but they just wanted that one that was going to be the right thing and say the right thing about us. And isn't this true about a lot of things in church? You know, I, I think there are, there are places where, where people will spend a lot of time saying, well, well, this person doesn't have the right priority. This ministry is really more important than that ministry. Or I can't believe that they think that ministry is important. Why would they spend all their time on that ministry when both ministries are things that build it up? And as somebody who spent a lot of time working with youth and working with, the, with young adults, and as somebody who spent a lot of time kind of interested in outdoor ministry and camping ministry, you know, I, I've always been an advocate for that. And I think about youth and young adult ministry, and I think about door ministry, and I recognize that not only my own sense of call, but the sense of call of a lot of pastors and faithful people in the church have come from these ministries. But when I look at the budget of churches, and when I look at the budget of even our own synod, and I see what we apportion for those ministries, you know, it, it is not as much as you might, might expect especially when you think of how many leaders come up through them. And so the drum that I beat oftentimes is we need more money for youth ministry, more money for young adult ministry, more money for camping ministry. But there are other people whose ministries are just as valid as mine. You know, I, I understand why we need money to fight malaria. I understand why we need money to go to all the food pantries. I understand why all these other ministries are so important... And when when mature adult Eric is thinking about it, I recognize, you know, why we have so many problems figuring out where we should put money because all those places are faithful. But, you know, the, the part of me that just always wants my own way, you know, I think everyone else is crazy because obviously I'm right. It's not because those ministries don't matter, but it's because we all kind of have our idea of what is really important. And so what we find in the church is when we argue about these things and we fuss about these things, part of our character is the ability to recognize that the other people aren't just trying to be mean and nasty because they don't care about Jesus, or they're not just trying to be mean and nasty because they don't care about us, but they're trying to get, get through those things that they find valuable too, which is hard. And I think part of the reason we argue so much is because we're, we're so used to fighting to get our way. We're so used to, to having the character that I'm right and you're wrong or I'm right and they're wrong. Or, or lately in politics, it feels like I'm right and they're stupid if you want to listen to the way people really talk about it. And, and you know, politics is another place where let's, let's talk about all the political. No, I'm just kidding. But that, that is another place where we find that we have our opinions about what's right and wrong, and we find ourselves often disappointed or often joyful depending on how it comes out. And so, you know, as I think about what Herod did and and the failure of Herod to stand up and be a mature, responsible person, I recognize that what led Herod there wasn't one day he woke up and decided I'm going to be a jerk but that he was somebody who was living his life and the consequences of having made all kinds of character decisions that led him to have a weak character. And, you know, as I, as I think about my own life, and I realize that I'm in charge of things now, which in my own head I think is kind of crazy, but it's, it's also really kind of fun. You know, it, I realize that other people around me are either benefiting or are victims of the decisions that I've made that lead me to have the character I have. And it makes me think a lot more clearly about the kind of decisions I make on a day-to-day basis. Do I mean yes when I say yes? Or do I say yes because it's easier to tell somebody yes and they're going to understand if I don't get around to it? I don't know you all struggle with that, but it's something from time to time that I struggle with. And, and we realize that when, when you get right down to it, the effects of our character make a big difference on the people around us. Because we, as we're getting ready to baptize Madeline today, you know, we recognize that Madeline is going to learn what it means to be a part of the body of Christ from the way she sees us acting. You know We're going to make promises to her today. We're going to promise to raise her in the faith. We're going to promise to teach her to pray. We're going to promise to bring her to church. We're going to promise to put, her, put, her, put the Bible in her hands. And not just her parents making that promise, but this congregation is making that same promise that this congregation has made every time we've baptized a child. And what we realize is that the character that we have is the character that we're going to teach Madeline. Sometimes that makes us really happy and sometimes that makes us really scared, doesn't it? And, and what we recognize as people who end up growing up eventually... ...because right now, Madeline and the kids are kind of on the end of the cycle... ...where they're the ones that, that we tell, you know, don't run in the hall... ...and don't put your elbows on the table... ...and all those things that we teach them about what it means to be a part of the family. We know that one day, they are going to be the ones who are telling children... ...don't run in the hall and don't put your elbows on the table. And also, as we begin to get older and our role starts to change, and we are no longer the ones who are telling them, but they become the ones who are responsible for us, we better hope that the character that we've taught them is a character that we want them to have when they deal with us, isn't it? You know, this is the, this is the whole thing that makes this such a big deal, is that what we teach through the actions that we take and through the things that we do, is something that will be seen generation after generation after generation. And what we realize is that it's not just in those big moments where we have done the right thing in such a public way that nobody can help but see it, but the time when we teach this the most clearly is through those day-to-day interactions that we don't think our kids are paying attention to. Through those, through those day-to-day interactions that we think are kind of throwaway interactions that nobody's going to think about. Those, those little kindnesses or those little meannesses that we, that we act on, thinking that they're not going to make any difference because those are the things that people pay attention to because those are things that really indicate what kind of people we are. So in the, in the gospel today, and we say gospel meaning good news, and let's face it, on a day when, when Herod is beheading John, it's, you have to dig for good news and I understand really clearly now why pastors Andrea and Nathan wanted me to preach today. Thanks, guys. You know, what, what our good news is, is that we worship a God who through the death and resurrection of Jesus declares to us that, yes, we are people who are bound to sin, we are people who have things that we must confess, which is one of the reasons we confess every Sunday, Sunday in and Sunday out, because we, are, we recognize that there are those things that we do that we cannot turn away from and should not turn away from because they're a part of who we are, and we also realize that we are a people of a second chance, that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we might be bound to some of the consequences of those decisions, but we are not bound to those things that we've done. We are not bound to those decisions we've made. We are not bound to our shame and our guilt and our problems, but we are bound to the cross of Jesus through which we have new life, through which we have new opportunity, through which we have hope from the God who declares to us, I know who you are and I love you anyway, that God has a plan even for us even when we've completely disappointed ourselves and everyone around us the gospel in this text is that we are a people of a second and third and fourth and fifth chance and that god still has a plan for us even when we feel like we are captive to our bad habits so if we're going to if we're going to take this home and and do something with it you know how do we how do we put this into our lives in a way that has meaning if you're going to go home and do something with this, you know, think about the relationships in your life, especially the ones that, that you kind of habitually ignore. What are, what are a couple of small things that we can do to begin to change those habits? What are, what are some things that we can do in our lives in areas that, that we feel like we have no power to begin to make small choices and small actions to be able to transform our behavior in ways that are meaningful? Realizing that, God doesn't love us because of the things that we do. God loves us because of who we are. And because we are people who are beloved and claimed and named and called blessed children of God, we have the strength to make these changes and to do these things. God has given us these tremendous second chances so that we as individuals. We as a community at St. Luke's, we as a community in South Carolina Synod, we as a community in the ELCA, we as the United States of America, we in the world can say we are not bound by the things that break us, but we are bound to the new hope that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that in this place where we are bound, we can find our joy and we can find new life that God is working through us and know that. Even though sometimes we, we do find ourselves weak and disappointing, we also find ourselves a new creation in the joy of the God who recreates us daily through water and word and bread and wine. And have faith that God will continue to call our name and have hope that even if we don't know how to answer it today, one day we'll be able to hear it. Amen.